Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week nine in the books for the ACC. Everything went as planned. Nothing. There's no problems at all. Everybody's great. How are you? You ready to recap these uh, totally normal and orderly games? Smiling from ear to ear, <laughs> baby. Let's go. I figure we, we have to start with the game of the week in the ACC. Uh, there's only one place we can do that. That's in Hartford, Connecticut. Where, unfortunately, our Boston College Eagles fell to the UConn Huskies by a final score of 13-3. to um, Mike, I, I don't know what you did. I, I, I feel like this is your responsibility, considering uh, you know the way that we went into this weekend. And just as a reminder, um, Producer Scott, could you play that sound of like what we did to prepare for this game? Yeah, I'm locking up UConn. Yeah, Mike, you did that. That was you, and I couldn't believe it. And... Uh, <laughs> Turns out UConn was not only a seven and a half point underdog, just you didn't need the points at all. They just won that thing on the field. Seven and two against the spread. <laughs> you had a pretty good I week. am the smartest man alive. <laughs> Yo, was that three three and zero unlocks? I believe so. I believe so. That was that was a big you week. The for sound me. again. Big week for me. And then, hey man, listen on on the actual games I placed bets on this weekend like outside this podcast i went six and three that's a spread so i'm i yeah good weekend got it back after a couple of rough weeks. uh <laughs> i go yeah i got it got it yeah i got it back big time i really don't look at my week eight results <laughs> uh anyway uh yeah so here's the thing boston college might be the worst team in the power five on the um, table. it's on the table that's kind of my takeaway here so BC really struggled to run the ball against UConn, which is a statement. Uh, this is a UConn defense I mentioned on the preview had not been playing that bad, right? But they weren't playing so well that Boston College shouldn't have been able to run the football on them at all, right? And that's basically what happened here. Phil Dracovic was the leading rusher. He had 14 carries for 29 yards. That's non-sack adjusted numbers. But they really couldn't establish anything in the running game whatsoever. Pat Garbo the third had six carries for 13 yards. Like, they had nothing mm-hmm. going in the running game whatsoever. Passing game was not much better. Phil Dracovic, 12 of 19 for 155 and two picks against UConn, mm-hmm. right? So, again, like, Boston College has a ton of injuries up front. So, I, I mean, I do want to mention that right off the bat. Like, they are really struggling with... Coming into the year, they were struggling with just the offensive line, the quality of the players there. You know, that was going to be an issue coming into the year. Christian Mahogany was the only returning starter. He tore his ACL before the season started. Like, they were young up front, right? And then a lot of their players up front started having injuries. And it feels like Pete Thamel from ESPN has been tweeting out during college game day basically every week that Boston College is going to be without two or three stars on the offensive line for that yep. game, yeah. <laughs> right? It's It seems like that's continuously happening. That happened again on Saturday. BC was down a couple stars up front. So that that kind of tells the story here a bit. BC just doesn't have 
the horses in the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't, right? And which is unusual. They're now two and six. It it is uh, definitely unusual. And Phil Jerkovic has been pretty bad, but like it's not all on him yeah. either, no, it's right? Not. Like he's he's kind of running for his life back there. Has he looked as good as like 2020 Phil Dracovic did, you know, during the COVID year when he was in his first year as a starter after transferring from Notre Dame? No, he doesn't look that good. Last year, he looked fine and then he hurt his wrist and he came back late in the year and certainly was not himself. This version of Phil Dracovic this year is somewhere in between those two guys, right? He's not as good as 2020, but he's certainly better than when he was coming back from injury last year, right? He does look healthy. Um, until the third quarter in this game when he got knocked out of the game with a lower body injury, took a pretty big hit, middle of the third quarter. So he's out of the game. Emmett Moorhead comes in, 9 of 18, 104 and a pick, you know, the rest of the way. They were desperately trying to find offense here late to try to crawl their crawl their way back into this yeah. game. On the scoreboard, they were never really out of it. They were down 10-3 at halftime. It was 10-3 to until the fourth quarter. UConn kicked a field goal. It just, BC never, it just never felt like they were really in the game, if that makes sense. Like, they were there on the scoreboard, but they were never really in yeah. it. They turned the ball over, they turned the ball over way too much against a UConn team that's not nearly as poorly coached as they've been in recent years. Like, I think Jim Mora, Jim Mora got made fun of for taking that UConn job. A lot of people are like, hey man, what are you doing? Leaving your studio gig mm-hmm. with ESPN to go take that job. Like, are you out of your mind? And a lot of people are wondering if UConn had even made the right hire, you know, bringing in Jim Mora to, to coach. Um, it was weird, right? But the returns have looked pretty good so far. Like, when's the last time UConn's been four and five through nine games? It's been mm-hmm. a while. So they're definitely improved. Um, this is just such a bad look for BC. It's it's cool for UConn to win this game, but it's just such a terrible look for Boston College, man. That's that's kind of my takeaway here. You can't lose, you can't lose this game to UConn, man. They've been they've been too bad over the last, I don't know, better part of the last decade. It's just a terrible, terrible look. We have to start having a conversation about Jeff Hathaway. I was gonna say, and it's the fact that we're at the tail end of year three, and like you said, and we've outlined this, and and I. I I completely understand. There's been injuries before the year. There were transfers. There were graduations. Like, I, I get it. I, I kind of understand where we're at. But the but the fact is, like, we're pretty deep into year three, and your offensive front in particular is in a place where you can't really block UConn. Some of that's bad luck. I get it. But also, like, you got to be building up this program year over year, right, to be able to block UConn. That's that's my right. biggest concern about the whole thing. It's, I don't know. And, and I, I wonder about the future of this program at this point. I mean, we saw Zay Flowers not out there on the last drive. Don't, I doesn't, don't get the impression that there was like an injury there. Didn't see, uh, you know, Phil Dracovic didn't finish the game again. He got banged up. You wonder where his head's at. I don't know. It, it This is a, a bit of a touchy place. Not really where we thought Boston College would be or really where I think we think they should be you know, late in year three for Jeff Halfley. This just feels, it feels eerily similar to what I just watched at Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente. Like year one, really great. Pretty, really great year one. Year two, not bad. Year three, starting to show some troubling trends. Year four is going to be like, are you going to continue to do this? And then you kind of, 
go another year and a half until you fire him. Like, I just wonder if Jeff Halfley's the guy here, right? And the whole point of making this Jeff Halfley hire when he was the DC at Ohio State, you brought him in here. The whole reason to make this hire was you were going to raise the ceiling at Boston College from seven wins every year, which is what Steve Adazio was doing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to raise that ceiling, kind of break through that. And he looked like he was going to be the guy to make that happen. Now I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, man, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Yeah, well, what are we doing so, here? What are we doing here? Yeah, and, you know, maybe you know, maybe they get healthier on the offensive line. They show, you know, next year, you know, their offseason of development that maybe they're not as bad as they've looked. But I don't know. It's just it, it's the it's hard for me to really buy that though because the offensive line has been so mm-hmm. bad that it makes me wonder like how much better are these particular players going to get to kind of instill confidence year over year? I just don't I don't know. There's always room for improvement, but man, it's just been so bad up front. And Phil Dracovic has looked so inept this year, and some of that's on him, some of it's not. And the running game just doesn't exist. Like Pat Garwood the third was the leading rusher, the leading receiver in this game. He had five catches for eighty nine yards, which is pretty good. Zay Flowers has <laughs> two catches don't... and one carry. Why is he only getting three touches here? By the way, <laughs> right? Force right. feed that guy the ball. Come I mean, on. Yeah. So I, it's just I didn't really get the game plan. I know they're bad up front, but like you got to find a way to score by not being able to score points on UConn is a pretty pretty alarming thing i mean bc was three of 13 on third down here worth mentioning too that um, they were minus five in turnovers you had two picks by Dracovic, one from emmett moorhead zay flowers lost a fumble jeremiah franklin lost a fumble uconn didn't turn it over at all i mean if this is an even turnover margin it might be a bit of a different game i mean you outgained uconn uh, at least on a on a total yardage basis not necessarily a per play basis but um I mean that that's a way to give away a game and you're making mistakes like that. It's it's tough to get over. Yeah. Just not not a good look here. And like time of possession was split, so I mean you would anticipate that I don't know, you would anticipate in a game where, you know, B C comes in clearly with more talent that they'd be able to kind of dominate time of possession. They actually by letter of the law trailed time of possession by like a minute. Yeah. So I mean it's pretty split right down yep. the middle and not being able to run the ball, it's just a lot of troubling, a lot of troubling items coming out of this game for the Eagles. Yep. Tough times in Chestnut Hill, Mike. We'll see where Boston College goes from here. That was the first the bet cashes. Yeah, that was the first matters. UConn Power Five win since 2016 against oh, Virginia. Against Virginia, <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, hey, Bronco Mendenhall, year one. Let's go there next, shall we? we? Shall. UConn 13, Boston College 3. Speaking of totally orderly... Oh, boy, here we go. And this, by the way, this, this is... Uh, maybe coaching staff agnostic for this game. This kind of goes for both sidelines here. Yeah. Speaking of so. orderly and just, you know, clean, well-played games, Miami 14, Virginia 12 in four overtimes, Mike. This game set college football back decades Uh, no touchdowns in four overtimes no touchdowns see that was going to be my joke because i was going to say that we played four overtimes and nobody got into the end zone the entire game with the exception of the fact that apparently they did 
on the very final play of the game to convert a two-point conversion. That That's what it took to get into the end zone uh, for either of these teams in this game. Absolutely ridiculous. The first half, the drive chart. <clears throat> punt, 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 field goal. I think I got all that right. I believe that's... Yeah, right? Uh, what is that, like nine, ten punts? Goodness. And then you get in the second half, that's and it's a totally different just nightmare. Field goal, punt, turnover on downs, punt, field goal, punt, punt, field goal. And that's how we got to overtime at 6-6. Six to six. I mean, we could set a beat to that <laughs> drive chart. Punt, 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 punt. Yeah. Making Avicii proud. RIP. <laughs> so... Look, this was actually, it's pretty funny because this was actually a pretty cleanly played game. Weirdly. Um, not a single turnover. Weirdly. Like, not a single turnover. Only 72 yards worth of penalties combined between the two on teams. On 11 flags. On 11 flags. So, I, this is this is the weirdest box score I've ever seen in my entire mm-hmm. life. And the box score doesn't really do justice how just terrible the game yeah. was. Um, this was made for Jefferson Pilot Sports. Oh, yeah. Raycom. Whatever. Jefferson Pilot got their money's worth on this one. <laughs> they got their money's worth, man. Oh. That contract. Man. John Swafford lining his pockets. They were combined 10 for 33 on third downs. <laughs> they had a grand total of 31 uh, first downs between the two teams. Like, my gosh. I had... I understand that I understand that Miami didn't have their starting quarterback, right? I understand, you know, Tyler Van Dyke was hurt, didn't play, didn't practice all week, so it wasn't a huge surprise they didn't play. Jake Garcia, fifteen of twenty nine for one hundred and twenty five yards against Virginia's Not defense, a very bad defense. Miami had two hundred and seventy two yards total in a game that went into four overtimes. Virginia, you know, before Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, well, Virginia Tech can laugh at this too, but before Virginia fans laugh at that, um, they only had 327 yards in a game that went four full quarters and four <laughs> overtimes. Uh, I'm kind of ashamed to be a fan of a team and an alum of a team that is a member of the same conference as these two schools. Uh I'm even more ashamed that Virginia Tech lost to the Miami team that won this football yeah. game. That's astonishing brutal. to me. This was this was just this was brutal. Um, neither team had a first down right in the in the first two overtimes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We went four possessions on the first two overtimes, and I think the the most yardage gained was like six yards on any of those possessions. Like. <laughs> If those if those if those overtime possessions started on your own twenty five and not the opponent's twenty five, they'd still be playing right now. Like that game would not be over yet. They'd still be punting. Some say he's still punting to this day. I, I mean, to this day. Yeah. By the way, can we just nominate the entire mm. Miami offense for the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week award? I was gonna say I'm I'm looking at this now and. Henry Parrish actually had a decent a decent he day. He averaged almost five yards per carry. Outside of him, though, it was kind of scary hours. I mean, yeah, train wreck. Uh, yeah, the the entire Miami offense racked up 272 yards on 70 plays, good for an average of 3.9 yards per play. 
And I know that, and I was able to do that math really quickly because they averaged both 3.9 yards per pass attempt and 3.9 yards per rush attempt the entire game. Goodness. So I said that thing. On, I, I want to kind of go back on something I said last <laughs> week, and this is going to be a theme because we have some things. We, we have some games to get to later that I need to kind of uh, repent my sins for, so to speak. Um <laughs> I said on the Saturday Night Fever recap that we did after week eight that I thought that Mario Cristobal was, you know, the right hire and the guy long term. Bro. (laughs) Bro. 14 to 12 against that Virginia team. We're absolutely sure he's the guy long term. Man. Right? Are we sure? I I have my questions. With what I've seen from this Miami team this year, man, like mm. I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not either. I all it took was another week of data. I'm now not so sure. I'm I'm back to being not so sure. I was gonna sure. say this is a this is a game, by the way, where the only thing that I feel like either team's fan base really has to feel good about is Miami fans can feel good about the fact that 14 points is more than 12 points. And that is where it ends. I, I, I guess maybe give credit to the defenses for, you know, keeping s- scoring from happening. But, like, I mean, you can't come up with trick plays or do something, I mean, to get the ball in the end zone. By the way, there was a sequence here in the second quarter or in the second half, which – Virginia had a turnover on downs on a drive where their final four plays started with a first and goal at the one yard line. Run for one yard to the two, so a loss of one. Completed pass for a gain of one. Incomplete pass, incomplete pass. Hell yeah. So you ran four plays, you lost a yard, you gained a yard, and then you threw two incomplete passes from the one yard line. That's that's what we got. And so then Virginia turned it over on downs. Just incredible. By the way, if you would have just like kicked a field goal in retrospect, you would have won the game. <laughs> the still shot of uh Tony Elliott just standing there with his hands on his hips, just like in oh, shock. Gosh, which one? That he lost that it's game. Week nine. Was He's no been context. doing that all season. No context. <laughs> no context college football. Had the screen grab of him just kind of sitting there like this. It's like that. Uh, what is the, uh, the the soccer fan meme? Like the really disappointed looking dad, like standing in the stands. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much what yeah. it was. Was that like Algeria? Somebody or tweeted something? a side. Somebody tweeted a side by side of that, and I was cracking <laughs> up. I forget who it was. It was so Perfect. funny. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal left a Oregon team that could absolutely make the college football playoff. He left that team for this man couldn't be me i really don't think this roster is in like an awful place to where well this just happens it's just going to take time like we have said this like (laughs) manny would not be doing this right now like manny would not be messing around and and, i mean they probably would have lost at least one game that was kind of a head scratcher but like they'd probably be at least one if not two wins better than they are right now so I said this about I said this about Notre Dame too. We'll get to them in a minute. 
I said this about Notre Dame also. Like, it didn't have to be year zero. No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, honestly, don't even count it that way. Like, year right. zero, like, Duke should have been year zero and somehow is not. Yes. These teams should right. not be year zero, but kind of are looking that way. And it's that's not a good thing. You don't get that benefit of the doubt. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, there are some teams in the ACC that, and I mean, I, I guess that, that Duke is, like, the example where that should have been year zero, and it's not. Like, Virginia Tech, I think we all agreed, probably year zero, and it mm-hmm. is. Um, Miami should not have been year no. zero. Vir- Virginia, even. They lost a lot, but they, when you return Brennan Armstrong at quarterback... It should not be year zero. And all of the skill talent on offense. Like, all of his receivers are back. you got the quarterback back. Yeah. I mean, again, the big question there was the offensive line all totally just uh, abandoning Virginia. And there, there was definitely some shenanigans, it sounds like, that happened with the outgoing coaching staff and uh, how they encouraged or maybe uh, just suggested that these offensive linemen look elsewhere and, like, all that stuff. So I get that, but... I don't know. Still seems like you should be able to cook that up something. That also just happened. That also, yeah, and that also just happens with a lot of outgoing coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so like, I have trouble using that as an excuse, especially with, you know, like you mentioned, UVA returned a ton of talent. Yeah. At receiver, and in the running back room, and at quarterback, I. 12 points against that by the way against that Miami mm-hmm. defense 12 mm-hmm. points with that with that offensive talent 12 yeah. points uh, this is a bad look for both teams is the takeaway mm-hmm. here uh i we're, we're all dumber for being a part of this <laughs> i think That's where where i'm at with it there was also a sequence very very late in regulation that we're going to have to uh, revisit here later in the show <laughs> Yep. My, we have an award we winner. We do. We do. Miami 14, Virginia 12, if you're ready to move on, Mike. I am. You pick. Should we talk about uh, – w- let me ask you this, Mike. What was your favorite Wake Forest turnover in the third quarter against Louisville? Wow. I have six of them <laughs> you, to choose from. There are a lot of options. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Louisville 48 Wake Forest 21. Just like I said, Louisville was going to win this game on the field. It it was a stinky number. We steered into it, and we were rewarded for it. I I don't know what to tell you. You got to start listening to me on these picks. I can't find the tweet. We had um we had a fan reach out. I'm sorry, a fan of the show reach out, and they tweeted it to both of us, and they said, "Hey Joey, you were right," and. I, I said, yes, I need to eat crow on the podcast, which I will. I was wrong about Wake Forest. I got it wrong. But, and, and Joey, you kind of said this on the flip side. You were like, yes, I was right, but I totally could have predicted eight turnovers by Wake oh, Forest. Yeah. By the way, matching matching the record set by Miami a week ago that hadn't been done in an FPS game in... 15 years, uh, what was that? or something? 13, 2009. Hadn't been done in a Power 5 game in 13 years. Hadn't been done in an FBS game since 2017. Unbelievable. And, it, I mean, it was just bizarre the way it happened. So, this game goes into halftime. Louisville misses a field goal with about a minute left. Wake gets it back. Can't really do anything with it. Um, they Can we talk about that missed field goal real sure, quick, though? Yeah. Um, 
Louisville made that field goal twice. Yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. They they made that field goal twice. Uh, they were icing the kicker, and then they got called for a false start, right? Was it got, a false start, and they got pushed back five yards and then missed yeah. it? Well, so got called for a false start, but it was one of those where they blew the whistle too late, got the snap off, kicked the ball, goes to the uprights. Called back, false start. Do it again. Line it up from a, a, a 40, I guess a, a 37-yard field goal. Line it up, snap the ball, kick it up, through the uprights, good. Nope, flag on the play, called for holding. Which, by the way, when's the last time you saw holding called on a field goal attempt? Uh, that was a wonky call. So now back it up 10 more yards. Now it's a 47-yard field goal. Kick is up, and it is to the right, and it is a miss. And that's, I mean, <laughs> awesome. So... That's how we go in uh, 14-13. Wake has the lead at halftime. Wake's... <laughs> oh, and by the way, uh-huh. pause. P- Dave Clawson was was speaking to the... <laughs> Fence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible sound. Good timing. <laughs> I, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, very good. Uh, Clawson... I totally lost my train of thought. That was so good. Clawson was going into halftime talking to the sideline reporter, and he said, uh, you know, he told Sam Hartman, hey, you know, we're good. We had a rough start, but we kind of got the offense back underneath us in the second quarter. Hey, we're right in this game. We're making some plays. Defense has been defense has been really good. We're right there, 14-13. You know, we couldn't have played worse in the first quarter, and now we're in the lead at halftime. Got to feel good about where we're at. Wake makes a lot of great halftime and adjustments. Like, they're in good shape here. They're, they've are they got a one-point lead. Like, the, yeah, they're right where they want to be. Yes. <laughs> and then um, what happened? They got outscored 35-7 to in the second half. That's what happened. Yeah. Uh, and 35 to nothing in the third quarter because, Mike, the Wake drive chart here. <clears throat> Pick six, fumble, fumble, interception, fumble, three and out. Pick six, and then they fumbled again. <laughs> like it, it was unbelievable. So, and a couple of these, like I think three of these were Sam Hartman fumbles on plays where their offensive line just like got beat like a drum. Basically, um, he got hit from behind at one point. He got hit in the front at one point. Like all these causing the ball to come out. Um, yes. A couple of the interceptions he threw, I think one of them was tipped, and that wasn't great. And I don't know if you saw what happened after that. Was it was a tipped? It was a tip ball that was uh, intercepted by Monty Montgomery, the linebacker for Louisville. He starts running it back. He uh, he fakes a pitch to one of his teammates, and then like takes four or five more steps, and then actually pitches it. <laughs> and his teammate goes and runs it down the field from there, like fifteen twenty yards. Uh, that was awesome. And then Louisville scored a, a, a one play nine yard touchdown drive. Yeah, this thing got just totally out of hand instantly, and this thing just snowballed. The the only thing I can think t- to compare this to for Wake was that bowl game a couple of years ago against Wisconsin where they got into, like, the third quarter and Sam Hartman threw four straight interceptions on, like, consecutive passing attempts. Um, it was it was wild. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was wild. And I remember that one game of, of – uh, I think it was 2014, too, is that Georgia Tech Orange Bowl team that played Pittsburgh – that I think they were up 35 to nothing in the first quarter because Pitt turned it over like five times. I mean, it was unbelievable. (laughs) Just bizarre. I think you texted a group chat after the third or fourth turnover of the third quarter. It was hard to keep track because there were so many Mm -hmm. of them. 
after a third or fourth turnover, and I think your text said, wow, this is really snowballing for Wake, huh? It's like, yeah, I'll say. It was just like they couldn't stop turning mm-hmm. it over. It was incredible. Yeah. It was like every time I looked up, Louisville had the ball again in the red zone. And I will say, the the so they pulled Sam Hartman at the end of the third quarter. So the final play of the third quarter is – uh, Wake has it fourth and three on the Louisville seventeen yard line. They're going for it because at this point they're down forty one to fourteen. Uh, or yes, forty one to fourteen. They're going for it. Sam Hartman throws a pass. He he's kind of throwing like an in route to his left, and I guess you call it under throwing the receiver who had broken in and he threw it like behind the receiver. And the defender was right there. I mean, caught it and just ran, took off running, and I don't think anybody touched him, basically, for 87 yards or something. They pulled Sam Hartman after that. Mitch Griffiths comes in to uh, to finish out the fourth quarter to see if they can get anything uh, anything done. <laughs> they could not. From there, fumble, interception, and then finally a touchdown. But I will note that that touchdown for Wake Forest came immediately following a drive that was 11 plays, 55 yards, and an interception, where... Mitch Griffiths threw a pass intercepted by Quincy Riley, who then fumbled on the return. So Wake recovered on the 11-yard line and then scores a touchdown in three plays. And that was how we got to 21 points. But, yeah, Wake uh, Wake just gets rolled here by turnovers. And some of it's bad luck for sure. Um, but I don't know. Louisville, Louisville's defense, I will say this, uh, quietly p- starting to play pretty well. And, and obviously when you – get eight turnovers and a half of football like the stats are going to look good but (laughs) wake was not having an easy time running the ball like they they were this was a struggle for a lot of the game for wake's offense even when they weren't turning the ball over so um you know credit to louisville for that and then i mean tyon evans had a really good game only 11 carries but for 106 yards and a score including a, a pretty long run um louisville just i i mean louisville's offense I thought played pretty well in this game. Uh, Malik Cunningham had a pretty good day. Uh, passing stats were, were, you know, fine, but he had a couple of rushing touchdowns on the ground as well. So um, good effort from Louisville, I thought. I, I thought that they were dead in the water. I thought Scott Satterfield is as good as fired. I, I don't know. They might be able to win at least at least one more, if not two, uh, get ball eligible, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But, I don't know. It, it, it's this was a uh, it was a good performance from Louisville. Kind of just an unlucky thing from Wake. I, I would be curious to know what what would have happened if this hadn't just totally snowballed on Wake and all the turnovers and everything the way that it did. I mean, Louisville looked like the better team even in the first half to me. I mean, I know Wake was leading fourteen mm-hmm. thirteen at halftime, but Louisville looked like the better team in the first yeah. half. And you know, we we just talked about the turnovers at length in the second half, but like. I thought Wake Forest's offensive line was overwhelmed by Louisville's pass rush. I thought that Louisville's front seven played exceptionally well against the mm-hmm. run. Wake just didn't really have a ton to offer up front in this football game, and it made life difficult on Sam Hartman and that offense in the first mm-hmm. half before all the turnovers happened. And that's why you had Dave Clawson going into halftime talking about, you know, we didn't play particularly well in the first half, but we have the lead. It's, it's almost like he felt fortunate that they were kind of sitting where mm-hmm. they were. Um, but this was this was. I haven't seen the post game win expectancy numbers from Bill C. I'm curious what what those mm-hmm. were. I have a feeling that Louisville's post game win expectancy was probably still pretty high, right? I mean, you take oh, the it's... crazy turnover luck out of it. Uh, it's 
had to have been mm-hmm. high. I mean, w- Wake was not – Wake did not look like the, the better team in this football game in the first no. half, even when they had the lead, I guess is what I'm getting at. So – Take the turnovers out of it, you know. Maybe, you know, obviously, would be a lot closer. I mean, I, if these teams play ten times, I don't think either team wins by twenty-seven very no. often. Like this might be the only time that happens, right? So, I think this, you know, this final spread of four scores is, you know, almost entirely due to the crazy turnover luck that occurred in the second mm-hmm. half. But I thought Louisville was the better team in this football game, yeah. so Louisville winning is not what surprised me. It's more of the margin. The spread and how it kind of snowballed and got away. Yeah, the margin exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I think if they played ten times, I'd, it might be five and five. It might be six and four. You know, I I think they were right. reasonably evenly matched, which is in- interesting when you see a, a team with a number ten right next to their name going on the road against right. a, an unranked team that has been talking about firing its coach all year. <laughs> and uh, for those to be evenly matched, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a it reflects well on Louisville. Because Wake has been legit good all year, and um, this was, you know, L- Louisville played with them and, and caused a lot of these issues for Wake. So Wake is always Wake is always going to struggle against teams that I, I don't want to say struggle. They're always going to be in a dogfight. I guess is the better the better term. They're not necessarily going to struggle and lose outright like this, but they're always going to be in a dogfight or in a tight game against teams that recruit well and have a bunch of really good talent in the trenches especially mm-hmm. so Clemson good example of that I know that game went to a few overtimes so and Wake could have easily won that game but you know Clemson very talented Louisville very talented not well coached really in most games but look good on Saturday they have so, their moments yeah yeah Scott Satterfield was so in I mean his this bag by the way with some <clears> of the play calling we yeah. had a, a 28-yard touchdown pass from running back Braden Smith in the third quarter. At one point in the yeah. middle of all the turnovers, it was that was the moment. It was like, oh, this is what we're doing here. Like he's feeling himself. <laughs> when that happened, I was like, man, we're calling we're calling halfback pass <laughs> up a few scores with Wake Forest turning the ball up, being allergic to taking care of the mm-hmm. football. I'm like, this is Satterfield's trying to bury this mm-hmm. team today, and as he should. I mean, he needs all the style points he can get yep, at this point. Absolutely, Louisville 48. Wake Forest, 21. Uh, Mike, I know where we're going next, but we have to remind the people that this recap brought to you by Section103.com, the Internet's premier place for buying all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. It has got all things in the official Tech Gold. It's got uh, T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, something for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Uh, We've got the official word marks, got that ATL logo still available. Uh, there's there's hoodies again for uh, it's it's kind of cooling off here, the uh, the new coach hoodie kind of uh, fashioned after the one that we see Brent Key running up and down the sideline wearing, that one is available as well. Um, I love my section 103 and you will as well. Use promo code GoACC for 10 percent off your first order at section 103.com. Uh, if you're planning on going to one of these games later this year, it's almost basketball season. Uh, we've had some fall baseball going on. Like if you're looking for something to wear to go support the Jackets. Go to section103.com and once again use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Mike, Florida State 41, Georgia Tech 16. Uh, you know, I don't know. It seems fine. It's This is kind of what we expected. Florida State actually looked pretty good, I, I think, at times. I guess they, they hit some big plays, it felt like. They struggled to be methodical. Georgia Tech's defense, I thought, played okay, but there were just a few big broken plays that Florida State was able to score on. Um, 
Zach Gibson plays the first two drives for Georgia Tech, and then Zach Pyron, the true freshman, comes in after that. Um, he, you know, for for a true freshman, hadn't played before. Like this was his first college football action, basically. I was okay with what he looked like. Um, he he looks like a gamer. Um, he it sounds like there's some some really good leadership stuff where apparently. <laughs> I, I just love the image in my head of a true freshman getting his first action. He plays for like four drives. You go into halftime. Apparently, the rumor is that he uh, tore into some of his teammates in the locker room uh, about doing their jobs, that kind of thing. 18-year-old true freshman played about not even a half of football yelling at his teammates, getting them in line, and I love stuff like that. So, oh, yeah. Good on that. Um, Florida State just way too much here for Georgia Tech. Um, they it, they scored late. Um, it seemed like they were ready to just run out the clock, get out of here, get healthy, and uh, be ready for Miami next week. But um, they do score late. And then I think the funny thing is we'll see what shows up on uh, Bad Beats with uh, Scott Van Pelt on Monday. But mm. <laughs> So <laughs> Georgia Tech has the ball. And uh, with the final play of the game, and this is a hilarious comparison to last week when Zach Gibson just steps out of bounds with a chance to win the game. Zach Pyron down 41 to 10 with, you know, the time expired on the clock goes barreling into a Florida state defender, runs him over to get into the end zone and score. And remember that the spread of this game, when it closed, I think depending on the number you got was around 24 and the score at the moment that Pyron scores the touchdown is 41 to 16, which is a 25 point margin and they didn't let Georgia Tech kick the extra point because time had expired. <laughs> Bad beat Hell city, yeah. baby. Bad yeah. beat city. I thought they actually uh, chose not to. Like, I think you have the choice, and they chose not to. I don't think they to. give you the choice. I, I think if, if, if it doesn't matter and time has expired, they just tell you, no, game's over. <laughs> I love that for me. <laughs> yeah, right? Worked out for you. <laughs> Scott was on the right side of that. Scott earlier in the week was saying, oh, I'm getting a ticket in on Georgia Tech plus 23, and I told him, do not, do not do that. So what was that uh, Adam Sandler sound once again? I am the smartest man alive! Hmm. Seems relevant. Anyways, please continue, Mike. <laughs> I mean, Georgia Tech didn't have any answer for Florida State's passing game. I mean, Jordan Traps had 400 yards passing. So. Nor did they really have an answer for Florida State's defense. Um, I mean, no. Well, first no. half drive chart: three and out, three and out, field goal, punt, three and out, three and out, three and out. Not great. Like, <laughs> no. This went exactly how I thought it would. I mean, Florida State again. They were sloppy. I think in a number of cases. I mean, thirteen penalties for one hundred and four yards. Uh, they they were minus two in turnovers. One of them in particular was pretty ridiculous. Uh, there, there was a sequence, and this is their second possession of the game. It's late in the first quarter. Florida State gets the ball at the uh, the or they they work the ball down inside the ten yard line there at the nine. Jordan Travis completes a pass to Micah Pittman for six yards, and now they're at the three. They call a timeout to avoid the play clock running out. They get out there, they run for two, so now they're at the one. They call another timeout. Again, this is still like mid-first quarter, basically. They call another timeout, I guess, just not liking the look. And then they come out of this second timeout in consecutive plays. 
dropped the snap. Charlie Thomas picks it up for Georgia Tech and runs it back like 80 yards to set up that field goal. Like, <laughs> good stuff, Florida State. So they were uh, they were clearly a little bit sleepy here at noon uh, in, in Tallahassee. Yeah. But lucky for them, they were playing Georgia yep. Tech. That that helps. That'll help to work off a hangover. That does. And you can really just insert name here. And there's like five teams you could put in there. But good thing they were playing Team X. We we, we really could stand to make a uh, a new bit on this show of the uh, ACC playoff contenders of the week, which is the uh, bottom four playoff. Because there's, yeah. there's more teams than there are spots in that <laughs> that are contenders for bottom four in the ACC. I, forget bottom four in the ACC, bottom four in the Power Five. You can make the case for several mm-hmm, teams. Mm-hmm. So one more note here that I will mention is I, if if you're looking at this and saying you got to fire Brent Key, you're like, oh, he's he's screwed. There's no way you can hire him, dude. I, this does not reflect on Brent Key. Like you're without your quarterback, you're going up against Florida State. Like at some point. Give I, I give him credit for playing the true freshman, playing Pyron. And by the way, it wasn't just like a play him for a couple drives and then take him out again. It, he stuck with him the whole game. I liked it. And I thought he played yeah. a lot better than Zach Gibson did. Um, so I, I give him credit for that. This was just, you know, by the way, there was also a coaching call. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Coming out of halftime, Georgia Tech is kicking off to Florida State, gets an onside kick and gets it, and then goes down and scores a touchdown right at a halftime. Like, that's a really good sign. That's that's a good thing to see. So, you know, yeah. they're playing to win the game. I, I like that aggressive call and, and the way that it worked out. So, I don't know. I, I, had, I don't really blame a blowout loss here on Brent Key is all I'm saying. So, if, if you felt like this is the thing that should disqualify him from the head coaching search – think again like this this is this went about the way it should have with the way that georgia tech's roster is the shape that it's in right now yeah i mean if you're blaming this on brent key you're probably one of those people that just doesn't want brent key in the first place sure right you're not like a neutral not really a neutral fan right saying that yeah i i want brent key to be the head coach and oh this is why we Mm -hmm. can't hire him like nobody's really nobody nobody rational is going to be saying that coming right. out of this. I don't think. And I'm not saying that he is. So. And I'm not saying that they should hire him. Right. I, I'm just saying that if if he's a candidate, this this doesn't disqualify him. Like this is not the this is not the data point for no. We're not hiring right. him. And, and the other thing people might point out is, oh well, he was the offensive line coach, and uh, they the offensive line has sucked. And it's like, okay, well, yes, but there's some other context there with injuries and players getting medical DQs and Jeff Collins didn't want to recruit any offensive linemen in his first class. And yeah, some nonsense like that, that again, I don't fully uh, ascribe to Brent key and his ability to coach an offensive line. So I'm keeping an open mind is all I'm saying. I I'm not saying key is the guy. I'm not saying he isn't. They've shown more under key than they did under Jeff Collins in like three and a half years or whatever. Sure have. So. They kind of looked better with Pyron at quarterback under Key than they did at times with Sims at quarterback under Collins. I mean, goodness. Says everything you need to sure know. does. Florida State 41, Georgia Tech 16. Uh, Mike, should we talk about your alma mater, or do you want to keep putting that off? <laughs> no, let's get this over with. The number 24 NC State Wolfpack 22, Virginia Tech 21. Uh, <laughs> this was a game. It was – 
something. It was something. Yeah, it was something. Uh, NC State kicks a field goal as time expires in the first half to take a three to nothing lead into halftime. So, by the way, this was one of two games this weekend that went into halftime at three to nothing. So the ACC really just putting on a, a show for the rest of college football this weekend. Can Can you believe the overhead? I here? can't. I can't. Okay. Yes. Okay. Impossible. Continue. Sorry. Um, and I, I'm not going to take up too much time here. You you know this a lot better than I do. I was more just astounded that Virginia Tech came out of halftime and three of their first four possessions go for touchdowns, including an 80-yard pass, or I guess an 85-yard touchdown to Caleb Smith. Um, I mean, just ridiculous. Like how I do basically nothing on offense for the entire first half and then come out like gangbusters in the second half and then stop, you know, stop playing offense again and then lose. I mean, just the way this happened was, was really wonky. This was a uh, this is a tale of three games for Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So game one is the first half version of Virginia Tech in which they had four punts and a fumble. They were trailing three nothing at the half. Then the next game is uh, Virginia Tech's offense coming out of the second half in which they scored touchdowns on their first two possessions. Then they fumbled and then they scored another touchdown on the following possession to take a twenty one to three lead. Um, and then it's oh. That offense that reared its ugly head in the first half and most of most of the season, it's back. Uh, punt, punt, punt on the final three possessions of the game offensively. Meanwhile, the defense gave up three consecutive touchdowns to NC State after playing pretty well to start the second half. And really the entire first half, the defense just kind of stopped playing late in the game. So this is... Uh, this basically epitomizes Virginia Tech season. Virginia Tech had 12 penalties in this game. Ten of them were false starts. Woof. So, I think if there's one it's area, I would look fun. at Virginia Tech sitting here at, yeah, well. Sorry. If there was one if there was one area I had to kind of like go back like 30,000 foot view and be like, why did I think Virginia Tech could make a bowl game and like, why was I so wrong? I was really wrong about how bad the offensive line is. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the line would be better and they are far worse than I thought. I mean, you have 13 penalties for 69 yards. And and ten of them are false starts. Like at some point, you got to stop jumping offside. Like the offensive line, just week after week after week after week, just comes back and bites this offense in the ass. And the offense isn't that good to begin with. So you have all that stuff happen. It's just not a recipe for success. Virginia Tech's been struggling to run the football all year too. They didn't run it particularly well in this game. Uh, Malachi Thomas had nine carries for 21 yards. He was the leading rusher. Grant Wells had two touchdown runs at the quarterback position. Um, Non-sack adjusted, 11 carries for 17 yards. It was not good. I love a stat line like that. That's 11 carries for 17 yards with a long of 20. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He was sacked four times, by the way. It was bad, man. Yeah, he was sacked four times. So... I don't know, man. Like, I will say this about NC State. They got a quarterback at MJ Morris. Mm-hmm. They have a quarterback at MJ Morris. Um, kids a freshman, came in in relief of Jack Chambers, threw three touchdown passes, had 265 yards passing. Yep. He's a stud. Um, he's the guy. He's a stud. Forward, man. He's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, highly touted recruit, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is kind of what you've been 
what you've been waiting for. I mean, this will be the quarterback moving forward for NC State. They would be crazy to continue to run Jack Chambers out there. I think it's pretty clear that MJ Morris is the guy, and he will be the guy moving into the future, so you may as well play him now. NC State somehow 6-2, and two. and good for them because without Devin Leary, I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Uh, Virginia Tech was a two-touchdown underdog here, and, uh, you know, I, I picked NC State to cover, and for a while there, it looked like they were going to lose outright by multiple scores, but then Virginia Tech remembered they were Virginia Tech, so that didn't happen. And, um, yeah, this basically epitomizes the season. Like, Virginia Tech's not very good. Uh, they go through stretches where they look like they're well-coached, and they go through stretches where they look like they're not very well-coached. So it's just the players aren't good enough, and the the coaches are... Uh, it's been a mixed bag. It's been a mixed yeah. bag. Uh, you know, I, there's been a lot of good. I think, you know, the defense looks like a Brent Pry coach defense where, you know, I don't think they have the talent yet, but the scheme is obviously pretty good, and... This is why you hire somebody like Brent Pry is because, you know, the defenses at Penn State were solid. And lo and behold, he's got players that don't really fit his scheme, but the defense has kind of held its own for most of the year. It hasn't been like a great defense, but it's been it's been average to above average most of the year, which I think a lot of Tech fans would have taken coming into the season. But the offense has been really, really bad, like way worse than I thought. Mm -hmm. So... Credit NC State for battling back at home. Um, this is a bit really bad loss for Virginia Tech, but it's a lost season, so like I don't know how much this really matters, to be honest. Sure. A lot of fans were really, really mad after the game, like real mad at like the coaching staff saying, fire this guy, fire that guy, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. Then I remember like a lot of these Virginia Tech fans on the timeline like weren't alive during the last Virginia Tech rebuild, <laughs> right? Like I'm 30, I'm 30, and this is my first Virginia Tech rebuild. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these a lot of these kids on social media complaining about this are younger than me, so they've never been through this before. But like it's going to take some time. And this is a really bad roster left over, especially in the trenches. Way worse than I thought. So just give it some time. There's no patience though. People are just real mad, mm -hmm. which is fine, but like this game does not Virginia Tech was two and five coming into this game. Like this game does like on its face, it's frustrating, right? Because it's a game that Virginia Tech could have won, but, like, this game does not matter. Like, this team's probably not going to a bowl game. This is a really bad team. So what? I don't think this really matters. It's, fu it's funny guess. when you talk about the the rebuild, and, and you got to remember, I mean, it's funny with the way that we, we treat coaches these days. Like, Frank Beamer would have never become anything close to what he was at Virginia Tech. It took him until year seven to get to a bowl game. Like, they didn't even make a bowl game until 93 after he took over in 1987. Right. So it took a while. It did. And I'm not saying that this will or should take a while, but it's just, you know, give it give it more than like eight weeks for the team, for the uh, coaching staff to fix roster issues, which you can't really fix midseason like this. There's no free agent market. Technically, there's no, you know, some of these right. things. Um, Yeah, I. I will say I, I thought that the the story of this game for me, or, or one of the really interesting storylines at least, was was the NC State quarterback situation. And you talked about MJ Morris coming in for Jack Chambers and Morris, the freshman and, and a, a high potential kind of guy. But in a way, it was also the way that they managed the quarterback situation because Jack Chambers played the first two drives, then MJ Morris played the next two drives, 
and then Jack Chambers came back into the game, and then Morris came back into the game before halftime, and then Morris played the entire second half. And so there was like this ping-ponging thing between quarterbacks drive to drive for NC State in the first half, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but I, I think they made the right call. Just let Morris play. And, and we've said, I mean, he's got a much higher potential, I think, with his arm in particular. Um, he, he's going to be a much better passer than Jack Chambers is. But And so I think that's that's the thing going forward. And I realize that you're still ranked, and you've still got things that you're playing for, and you're trying to win eight, nine games this year. But I kind of feel like you just need to rip the Band-Aid off. Unless you get to a, a game where it's like, we just need to run the hell out of the ball. So we're just going to run Jack Chambers out there. Like, if, if it's an opponent that's anything close to an equal match where you're going to th- need to throw it on a consistent basis to win, then you need to be just throwing the freshman out there and, and come what may. Like, this yeah. is the situation you're in. I mean, are they, like, are they really losing that much by playing Morris? Like, they don't have anything in the passing game with Jack Chambers. He adds a really nice rushing element at the quarterback position they didn't have with Devin Leary. But, like, they're not losing anything in the passing game. And MJ Morris, like, he showed he can get outside the pocket in this game and, and move. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think they're going to... They're not going to be in a situation here where, like, oh, MJ Morris, then he's a bona fide pocket passer. He's not going to give you anything in the running game at the quarterback position. It's going to be more like Devin Leary no, again. He's, he's like, plenty athletic. He's plenty athletic, yeah. So I think this kind of provides you the best of both worlds and a little bit more in the passing mm-hmm. game. Um, than you would get out of Chambers. So I think you roll with Morris. Plus, I mean, this is a good time to get experience under his belt, and they have a good team, and they should just keep kind of rolling forward with good players around him and just see what he's got. So I think you roll with Morris. The only the only reason I think NC State might be hesitant is maybe they don't want to burn a red shirt there. But at this point, like, NC State's got a good... Like you mentioned, Joey, like, they got a good team mm-hmm. here. So... You can make a New Year's Six game with mm-hmm. this team, so you may as well just see what you got, and that'd be a great experience for Morris and big time bowl game. And I mean, this is a, still a very solid NC State team despite all the injuries. Yeah. I mean, your your final four games: home against Wake Forest, home against Boston College, at Louisville, at North Carolina. Like, telling me you can't go potentially three and one against that stretch? It's up right. there. But like you said, I mean, the biggest yeah. thing you're losing with going from Jack Chambers to MJ Morris is just experience and he might make more mistakes than Chambers would or that kind of thing. So you just got to decide, I guess, if you're going to live with that, but it's, there's a lot more plays that Morris is going to make that Chambers won't. So that's, that's the other side of that coin. Yep. Anything else here, Mike, you ready to move on? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. (laughs) Well, I have one thing. Virginia Tech now ranks. Virginia Tech now ranks second to last in the country in penalties behind our <laughs> Bowling Green Falcons. Hell Go yeah. ACC, baby. I, that was the, the other thing I was going to respond to I thought about was, you know, you talk about like 10 false starts out of 12 penalties. And I think in, it, ideally what I would want to see from a coaching staff at that point is, you know, you pull a couple of guys and say, you know, you, you know, you take a couple plays off. We're going to let somebody else play that maybe knows the snap count or something like that. The problem is that Virginia Tech's roster is so depleted that that is just going to absolutely torpedo whatever drive you're on if you're getting offensive linemen out of the game. Like the, the guys that are out there aren't that good. The guys that are not out there are worse, like are really bad. Yeah. So, yep. you know, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place there trying to create accountability, but also you just you're going to torpedo your offense until you just ignore it, I guess. I don't know. 
Yeah, absolutely. NC State 22, Virginia Tech 21. Uh, two more here, Mike. And honestly, we, we've kind of done this whole thing in reverse because these were probably the two most impactful, like, best games of, of the day. Um, I don't care. I'm a sicko. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Isolate that. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, isolate that. Guilty as charged. Uh, Go ahead, clip that. <laughs> yep. Notre Dame 41, the number 16 Syracuse Orange 24. Uh, this thing just totally got away from Syracuse in the second half. Could not hang in the trenches, yeah, baby. They couldn't. Could not hang the trenches. This is this was the. I don't want to say this went exactly how I thought because it, it didn't. Like Notre Dame, I thought was pretty impressive from the jump, and to the point where like Syracuse was kind of out of this game a bit going into halftime. I was like, man, twenty-one-seven, but it feels like Syracuse is down like five scores, and then Syracuse kind of fought their way back in. Like they played a pretty good third quarter, kind of got their way back into it, made it competitive again, and then Notre Dame just kind of stepped on them again in the fourth quarter this was so Syracuse has had trouble stopping the run Mm -hmm. we talked about that in the preview they struggled against Clemson Clemson had over 300 yards Uh, when you take out the sacks last week running the football Will Shipley obviously had a huge game we talked about going in how it was going to be a Will Shipley game um, against Syracuse and and it was Notre Dame basically just decided they were going to run it right up the gut against Syracuse's defense Syracuse's interior defensive line just got manhandled mm-hmm. in this football yeah. game, um, right up the middle of the defense. Uh, they really just had trouble stopping Notre Dame's rushing attack. Um, it was pretty apparent from the start that that's the kind of game it was going to be for Notre Dame. Like Drew Pine was nine of nineteen for 116 yards, had a touchdown and interception. It was clear that this was going to be, we're going to run it down their throat. We're going to see if they can stop it. If they stop it, we'll turn it a passing game, mm-hmm. right? Audric Estime had 20 carries for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Logan Diggs had 20 for 85 in a score. Right up the gut, all game 40 long. carries for 208 yards and three scores. That'll play. Mm-hmm. And that was the entire game. That was the entire game. Um, run the dang ball, Bobo. Garrett Schrader... <laughs> Man, Garrett, Garrett Schrader, he didn't look great in the first half, and they left the game um, at halftime. Coming out of halftime, they they were saying that you know he was injured, he wasn't going to play anymore. Carlos Del Rio Wilson came in, and I thought added a different look in the running game for Syracuse. We talked about something similar in the Clemson game last week with Clemson's quarterback situation when DJU went out and Cade Klubnick came in. It was a different type of runner. We got that a little bit here in this game with Syracuse's quarterback situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because Garrett Schrader is more of, I'm going to run you over, similar to DJU, whereas Carlos Del Rio Wilson has a little bit more wiggle. And there was a different element in the running game and the escapability outside the pocket. He only had six carries for five yards, but when you saw it was in the rollout game, kind of escaping the pocket when the play was breaking down in ways that you didn't necessarily see with Garrett Schrader. He's just more of like power runner, I'm going to run you over. Uh, so that was different. I felt like Del Rio and then Wilson I, looked better throwing the ball. He did. I thought so, too. I thought so, too. Um, so, I mean, Syracuse's offense, I thought, in the second half, kind of got a little shot in the arm, a little bit of a jolt with Del Rio Wilson mm-hmm. back there. He's he's not perfect, but he gives them a little bit of something. And, you know, is he going to take over for Schrader? Schrader's healthy? No, he's not. But is he going to be a guy that, that moving forward into the future is – you're going to be a viable option at quarterback. I mean, I, I think so. I think so. But 
you know, Syracuse's weakness is stopping the run. Notre Dame, Notre Dame's strength, at least how they want to be perceived as a team that at their best offensively is just going to power run you to death, which is what they've been under Brian Kelly. That's what they kind of want to be under Marcus Freeman is they want to dominate the line of scrimmage. And Notre Dame's been able to do that with how they've recruited um, for the most part against teams like Syracuse in the past decade. This is the type of team that on paper, it's like, oh, Syracuse could give Notre Dame some trouble on Saturday. Syracuse has a pretty good team. And the Notre Dame's like, no, we got like multiple guys over 300 pounds that are just going to run. It's going <laughs> to lean on you. Run you into the ground. Yeah. So this is this is a culture game for Notre Dame. They were just going to kind of beat Syracuse down, and that's what they did. It, this game was one in the trenches. Yep. That's, that's the simplest way of putting it. I, I'll say this, too. Syracuse got the ball to start the game. They ran eight offensive plays, scored a touchdown, and they were tied 7-7. Because their first play of the game was Garrett Schrader making just a horrendous decision, and it ended up in a pick six. And, and that immediately puts you in a hole. And the reason I, I point that out is because I felt like there were a couple of moments throughout this game where Syracuse made a few bad mistakes. Like, they hung with Notre Dame for a lot of that first half. And it was 21-7 to at halftime, but... I mean, Syracuse's defense was hanging in there and everything was, was, I don't know, it felt like the game was within reach for sure, but they made a couple of pretty bad mistakes that led to touchdowns, that led to things just kind of starting to snowball on them. Um, so I, I don't think that Notre Dame is like inherently 17 points better than Syracuse here. I thought Syracuse had enough bad moments in this game that it just totally got away from them. Um, I'll say this too, and I, I texted the group this uh, as I was kind of doing the rewatch. If we find out going into next week that Garrett Schrader is injured and, and just straight up is not going to be able to play or he's going to be limited or something like that, I don't know how much it changes my handicap of Syracuse because I liked a lot of what I saw from Carlos Del Rio Wilson. Uh, I I thought he threw the ball very well. Um, he you know, he did this this thing, I thought, throughout the game. It was kind of weird seeing where he – at times he would throw the ball to Aronde Gadsden, and at times he threw the ball to Sean Tucker. And then there were other times where he threw the ball to other receivers. So it was like there were, like, different players on the Syracuse offense that got to touch the ball. It was it was kind of strange to watch. That's, that is odd, I, I would say. That's, that's weird, out of the ordinary. There were 16 completed passes in this game. Eight of them went to Aronde Gadsden and Sean Tucker, but the other eight went to Demarcus Adams, Amari Hatcher, Damian Alford, and Trebor Pena. Um, Who? Right? Like, I don't know if any of these players have touched the ball yet this season, but now that, you know, now that Garrett Schrader's not out there playing favorites, you know, who knows? I'm joking, obviously, but, you know, I don't know. Um <laughs> It's fine. Uh, yeah, you, you're correct. I mean, the, the simplest way that, that Syracuse lost this game is that Notre Dame just bullied them in the trenches. And, and that's that's probably the thing that I missed in handicapping this game is that Syracuse's defense, as good as they have been, they are kind of undersized in the front seven. And if there's one thing that Notre Dame's offensive line is not, it is undersized. They are correct. big, bad, mean, physical, all that. And so, yeah, I mean, when Drew Pine only has to throw 19 passes and you score 41 points, like – pretty clear what happened there and this isn't even a good Notre Dame offensive line relative to their standards yeah. like they're not they're not terrible but this is not a really good Notre Dame offensive line like we're used to seeing yep. either yep. so it kind of shows the talent gap uh two things real quick so we have a Sean Tucker tweet oh my body is um, ready I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read this first okay because I have another one that I'm going to read as well 
that's making fun of Sean Tucker. Here's the first one. This is Sean Tucker himself. Saturday we lost Syracuse 24, Notre Dame 41. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even do this with a straight face. I'm not pleased with the outcome of the game. It just wasn't our day. I'm not pleased with my performance, so I'm grinding harder this week on and off the field. I rushed for 60 yards and TD. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. That's, how he, that's how he wrote it. Yards. <laughs> Hashtag, please. please. Scott, <laughs> producer Scott, Joey, my son just turned four months old. If I gave him the old, uh, you know, quill and ink, so to speak, I think he could pen a tweet that's a little bit better than Sean Tucker's. I just keep telling myself that Syracuse has a very well-renowned like journalism broadcast school. I think he's practicing. I think he's practicing what he learns in class. That that has to be. I don't even know what his major is. That has to be the answer, Mike. <laughs> Some third grade reading level head assery. Okay, let's go to Notre Dame defensive back Brandon. By the way, sorry. One other little like minor note yes. there is. I'm seeing questions in a couple different corners of the college football internet where people are asking, is this a bit or is this serious? Like his, his Twitter account. I, and nobody knows the answer. <laughs> nobody knows if he's serious or not. I I wonder, and I've always wondered, is this even a real account? <laughs> That's what I'm, is this actually him or are we just assuming it's him? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, Okay, so let's go over to Notre Dame defensive back Brandon Joseph, because, Joey, you referenced the the pick six, right? The pick six off the bat. That was Brandon Joseph who ran that back, 29 I, yards for a Notre Dame touchdown to start I, the game. First I play. saw this. I did not realize that that was a Notre Dame player. <laughs> go ahead. Yes. Oh my God. There is a screenshot of Brandon Joseph stuffing Sean Tucker from this game, a screenshot, like a full right? full-on WWE spinebuster, Brand- basically. Yes, yes. <laughs> Brandon Joseph's tweet reads, Today we defeated Syracuse, and I am hashtag pleased please. with a 34, like Sean Tucker would write, <laughs> with my performance. Oh, God, that's <sighs> incredible. It's perfect. This guy gets it. <laughs> he just gets it. Uh, this is the greatest sport on earth, Mike. I will, I will hear uh, no different. I mean, he... he he let it marinate for like a couple hours after the game. He's like, should I hit send on this tweet? And he goes, you know what? What the hell? I'm firing. I'm firing on it. We need to get the uh, the Herm Edwards sound. Don't click send. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll add that to our yeah. arsenal. Syracuse is fine. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Nobody else on your They'll schedule has an offensive line like that. And honestly, I don't know if anybody left on the schedule actually has even like a decent offensive line. So we'll see. Yeah, it'll be a different type of game if Syracuse were to lose one, like the next four. It'll be a different reason, I think. It won't be because they got dominated up front. But maybe I'm wrong. Yep. Notre Dame 41, Syracuse 24. Last one, Mike. We'll keep moving kind of quickly here. Uh, The number 21, North Carolina Tar Heels, 42, Pittsburgh 24. Tried to tell you. No, 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 no. I am so mad with the way that this, this, like, all happened. Try to tell you. Pittsburgh had the lead through three quarters here. I was right, and then I wasn't. Yeah, and then North Carolina said, oh, wait a second. Uh, We have Drake May. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. (laughs) He's really, really good. He is. Really, really good, good, man. Um, 
388 through the air I mean, and five touchdowns, along with being the team's leading rusher with 61 yards on the ground. I mean, I'm pretty sure he set a school record for consecutive games or most games in a season with five mm-hmm. touchdowns or more. Um, I can't remember exactly what the stat was. That's good podcasting. Him, there. Lamar Jackson, but, and there's one other quarterback from recent memory. I don't know if it's Deshaun Watson or someone else. Trevor Lawrence, maybe that in like career five touchdown games. He he got the he's yeah. tied them in the ACC history. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's get this out of the way here so we don't waste any any more time with this conversation. Drake May's NFL good. Yes. Okay. Drake May's just want to make leader sure leader in the clubhouse by a mile to win ACC player of the year. Yes. Uh you posed a question <laughs> uh to Scott and I, "Hey, should we bring this up? You were like, should we bring this up on the podcast like who's the ACC player of the year through like in the first little over halfway through the year?" And I was like, Drake May? And you're like, yeah, we can make the case for a couple other guys. And then you thought about it. You're like, nah, you know yeah. what, Drake May. <laughs> I was like, this isn't even worth talking about if it's that obvious. Like, right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Carolina just basically hit the gas in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. That's basically what happened here. I mean, I thought Pitt, Pitt played fine. I mean, I thought the game plan was pretty much what we thought it would be. They were going to try to run the ball with Izzy Abandicana and just take the ball out of Carolina's hands as much as they could. It worked for a while. But eventually, like, you're going to have to punt, and then you're going to have to get some stops. And not a lot of teams can stop Carolina's offense right Mm -hmm. now. So that's basically it. Like, that's kind of how this went. So Pitt played better than I thought. I mean, they were right in this game later than I thought. I thought they'd hang around early. They did. But they ended up hanging around longer than I expected, and Carolina just hit the gas, man. That I was, was going to say, Pitt, Pitt got the ball, uh, or, or I guess North Carolina started with the ball at a halftime. They go five plays, 20 yards, and punt. Pitt gets the ball, goes five plays, 83 yards, touchdown. They take a 24-14 to 14 lead uh, about five minutes into the second half. And from there, the Carolina offense goes touchdown, 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 end of game. As they uh, they scored, what twenty eight straight points, unanswered yeah. to end the game. Pitt still hasn't scored since then. So, yeah, um, Pitt seemed like they kind of had things under control, and then North Carolina scores twenty one in the fourth quarter, and uh, just seemed pretty unstoppable at that point. And it was, uh, I was right through three quarters, but uh, you know, I talked to a couple guys at the sports book about that earlier, and they said that that doesn't really matter. So. Yeah. Speaking of the sports book, I bet over sixty five and a half yep. here. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Cash that ticket. Yeah, that, that last touchdown was significant to some. It sure was. Yeah. As some being Carolina, there. yeah, scored, got in the end zone there with uh I guess nine minutes or so left. And then Pitt goes, turns it over on downs, and then Carolina runs out the final five and a half minutes basically, which well done. The total was sixty two and a half like on Wednesday. So I could have had this by three or four points. This is a double barrel lock. Instead I waited. Uh it, it was. Instead I waited. <laughs> but it didn't matter. I have to sweat it out even that much more. That's Keaton right. Slovis is not it, Mike. He sucks. Not, I, yeah. I feel like saying he sucks is a little bit of a strong way of saying it, but like it's not great. I 
He was 14 of 31 passing. That's less than 50%. He kind of sucks. I want to go to a... Uh... That Carolina... This this isn't a good Carolina defense, Joe. He was 14 to 31 passing. Let's call it what it is. No, no, he's not good. And it's 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 funny yes. though looking at it because he completed 14 passes to a grand total of three receivers. Jared Wayne, Bub Means, and Kanata Mumfield caught all all 14 of the completed passes. <laughs> yeah. Jared Wayne had seven yeah. catches for 161. By the way, so uh, yeah, dude, he's a dude. Uh, I do, I do want to go to a, a reference an old Nick Saban quote uh when i when i look at pat narduzzi and i say is is this what we want offense to be is this what we want because i mean izzy Banacanda, like we said i mean had a pretty good day 26 carries for 127 yards and three touchdowns um and i thought carolina's defense played better than i expected them to against that but he still got his for sure but i guess they had to kind of get away from the run there in the fourth quarter as they were chasing points. And uh, the, the moment that Pitt has to abandon the run is a bad moment for Pitt football right now. Like, that passing attack is not a well-oiled machine by any stretch of the imagination. You know what's funny about Pittsburgh is that the the funny thing is that, you know, Pat Narduzzi, he runs off Mark Whipple, and he's thinking about it, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to run him off because – I trust the way that I can coach defense and my teams play defense. Yeah. And then his defenses aren't good enough to overcome the fact that you can't outscore North Carolina, mm-hmm. right? A Mark Whipple coached offense. I don't know about with Keaton Slovis necessarily, but a Mark Whipple coached offense could have at least had a chance to keep mm-hmm. up. Sure could have. And defense hung in there for a while, but I think the whole defenses win championships adage is kind of out the window in modern college football. You just got to score, yep. man. Look what Tennessee's mm-hmm. doing. You just got to score, and Pitt wants to do things the old-fashioned way under Narduzzi, and I don't think that's going to work long-term. Narduzzi wants to do uh, the things the old-fashioned way. Um, credit to Frank Signetti Jr. I bet he's going to get a raise after this year for uh, doing it Narduzzi's way. I mean, you just look in the bank account, you say, wait, my paychecks are cashing? <laughs> okay. Whatever you want, sir. Pitt is going to a bowl game, right? Hmm. <laughs> They're four and four. Final final four games: home against Syracuse, at Virginia, home against Duke, at Miami. I'd say pretty much every one of those games is winnable and losable. I think they probably go two and two. Coin flip city, and yeah, go to a bowl game at six and six. Yep. And do we know what the magic yep. number is for North Carolina in the in the Coastal Division? <laughs> It's it's almost zero at this point, isn't it? Like say. they have, they are. I'm looking at this. They are seven and one. The next closest team is Duke at five and three. But Carolina has four zero in conference. Beat, yes, and Carolina has the win over Duke. Has the win over Duke already? I, and I, yeah, you're right. I was looking at overall, not conference standings. I'm sorry. Duke's two and two. Miami's two and two. Carolina's beat both of them already. So Carolina essentially has a... They're like three games clear in the Coastal. Mm-hmm. So that would, I'm pretty sure they can clinch if, in two weeks. If they beat Georgia Tech in... When is that? I guess that's the weekend before Thanksgiving. They, they, no, Georgia Tech isn't winning until then. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, about to, they're about to wrap this thing up when they get to like 5-0... and oh. <laughs> Yeah, they'll 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 have yeah, that wrapped I, up. This could be, I mean, 
mathematically, I think Carolina could actually win the division if they beat UVA and if Duke and or Miami lose. Yep. Because I Georgia Tech's too far behind. Like Carolina would have to lose three times. Well, and if, if Carolina has the win over Duke and Miami, they would both need to win out. And yep. then Carolina lose out after beating Virginia. So, yeah, I mean, you're potentially like I'm, a week I'm, away from Carolina clinching the division. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to verify that. But I think Carolina can clinch if they beat UVA on Saturday. Pretty sure. Uh, Joey, question. 12-1 and North Carolina, ACC champion. Is that a playoff team? Uh, uh, I don't know, man. The strength of schedule is soundly. not great. I mean, FAMU, App State, Georgia State, Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was the loss. And then playing in the ACC Coastal. If Notre Dame wins out, Carolina wins out, Notre Dame finishes the season 9-3, and three. That's Carolina's only loss, and Carolina just beat Clemson in the ACC championship game. It's probably going to be a top four to five team at the time. I don't think so. Does that team go to the playoff? I don't think so. Not this year. Not with the way things are shaking out between Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, not to mention all the Pac-12 teams. Like, I don't think 12-1 Would Carolina you put- makes it. Okay, here's a fun here's a fun one because this team is kind of a little bit lower on people's mm-hmm. boards. I know we're running long, but TCU is undefeated. Mm-hmm. TCU has been kind of winning games by the skin of their teeth here and there, um, but they're like a top six or seven team in the country, mm-hmm. right? Neutral field, you taking Carolina or TCU? Probably TCU right now. I think I, think I trust TCU's defense a little bit more than I trust Carolina's. Like. <laughs> I agree. You trust in TCU's offense as much as you trust Carolina's offense? That's that's more of a push. Maybe Carolina gets a slight edge there. But if I'm trying to figure out who can get like four stops throughout the game, I think I trust TCU yeah. to do that more than Carolina. Yeah. But it'll be a fun conversation. Man, I was I, I mean, they're I was peeved with how uh, okay, do that though. <laughs> TCU wins 41-31 at West Virginia. They scored a touchdown with like 30 seconds left in a game where West Virginia was like a seven and a half point dog. And I had them in a pick them oh, contest. Yeah. Like, yep. Gross. Anyways, that's, that's a bad yep. one. Mike, that's all I got on games this weekend. Do you want to give us some awards? That was thorough. It was thorough. Yes. Let's do it. Scott, cue the music. Because we referenced the situation that happened that I don't know that I can necessarily do it justice. Producer Scott, can you please walk us through exactly what we spent about 12 minutes of our lives on trying to figure out what was going on? Yeah, so Miami's driving down the field uh, at the end of the fourth quarter, and they're clearly not really trying that hard, but they're on, like, the five-yard line. and Trying hard enough. There is about a minute left running clock, and there's a false start. Well, the false start causes a lot of confusion about how much time's left. Are they doing the 10-second runoff? Are they not doing the 10-second runoff? Meanwhile, I'm looking at this game on a second screen. I keep keep looking down. Every time I'm looking down, Mario Cristobal is asking the refs how much time's left. It takes no less than 10 actual minutes to figure out that there's 37 seconds left to the point of which, once they start the clock again, Miami runs it down 20 more seconds and calls a timeout. (laughs) 
Hell yeah. Do you remember how many times they went to the monitor? To like, uh, there were there were at least two, if not three, trips to the monitor to like go review and try to discuss and figure it out. I saw at least twice. There might have been a third. I don't know, but it was ridiculous. And all of that resulting in Miami calling a timeout to avoid a delay of game penalty is fantastic. Go ACC to that. Rich. Good coaching, too. <laughs> As we expected from Mario's team. Anyways, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week goes to the Wake Forest Steeman Deeks, who, uh, yeah, they tried. They tried, damn it, to break the record of turnovers. And uh, they, they almost got there with eight. Six yes. in the third quarter. Uh, good try, Wake. You almost got there. I mean, Miami set the record a week ago. 13 years since a team in the Power Five had turned the ball over as much as Miami did with those eight turnovers against Duke. It had been the first time since 2017 that a team had turned the ball over in an FBS game as much as Miami did against Duke. It took one week for Wake Forest to turn the ball over as much as Miami did. Bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it works out for them. They tried to break the record. The Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award might go to the entire Miami offense, short of uh, uh, Henry Parrish Jr. Got so many candidates this week. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, there was a lot of setting offense back in the conference this week. So I guess Miami's offense, other than Henry Parrish, uh, NC State's rushing attack. 34 carries for 60 yards. Not, not great. Virginia Tech's rushing attack. 26 carries for 50 yards. I All those were at the top of my list. <laughs> Trying to see if I can... Oh, uh... Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned Boston Bob. Mm-hmm. Not, not in the last 30 seconds, but... Okay, okay. Um... Boston College's leading rusher was Phil Dracovic, 14 for 29. As a team, non-sack adjusted, though, 30 for 76. Pat Garwood, the third, 6 for 13. Boston College rushing offense. To that we say... Kobe! And Kobe. It's late. Mike... Any other awards to give out before we get to the actual good stuff here? No. Yeah. All right. Uh, team of the week. Who you got? Oh, I think it's going to have to be Louisville. St. Louisville went in there and got that win. But if we're talking about a non-ACC candidate. UConn? <laughs> yeah, I'm locking up UConn. Hell yeah. Ugh. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, we'll go Louisville. Um, yeah, Louisville. I'm not giving it to Miami. I'm not doing it. Player of the week. You really wanted to. You wanted to. kind of wanted to. Player of the week, probably Drake May. He was really good. Yeah, Drake May or Jordan Travis are the two candidates. Oh, shout out MJ um, Morris, too, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's no, that's not to twist the knife. That's but, solid. You know, he was good. That's solid. How about how about Jared Wayne in a losing effort <laughs> for Pittsburgh? Uh, seven for one sixty one. Looking like friggin' Reggie White back there. Wait, who are we talking? About? Oh, I, I meant Jared Verse. Never mind. Jared Verse for no, Florida was, State, who looked like Reggie White. No, 
No, I was <laughs> Pittsburgh wide receiver Jared Wayne does not look like Reggie White. Um, <laughs> that would be something. That'd be even more mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah, shout out to him as well. Good performance. <laughs> Looking like Reggie White. <laughs> yes, I do know what position Reggie White played. Thank you. <laughs> what side of the ball he played on? <laughs> Go ACC, Mike. Uh, that's all I got. Anything else on Week Nine? Nope. We should uh, come back and preview Week Ten. We got another busy week. Double digits. Double digits now. Yeah, we're getting we're getting into November. We got some weeknight action on Friday. Duke and Boston College. So buckle up your chin strap for uh, some real prime television for that one. I think Duke Duke is going to clap that ass. <laughs> this is a family program, Mike. Duke is favored by like almost double digits I on the road. I said. <laughs> yes. So that'll be fun. And then we got yeah, a bunch of conference action and a couple of out-of-conference games, too, on Saturday, including the Florida State-Miami game is coming up this weekend. Mm. So uh, keep it tuned here. The Tecmo Bowl as well. right. Yeah, the Tecmo Bowl. The real tech for the final time. I'm gonna, annual basis. I will sadly open. be in attendance. Pokey's open as a four-and-a-half point favorite. Which kind of feel like whichever team was the underdog, I'd be uh, I'd be happy to take that pick. So I, I agree with you. Scott, what you say? I will sir? sadly be in attendance for the Tecmo Bowl. Condolences. Oh, yeah. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> at least it's at 1230. Mike, let's... <laughs> <laughs> On Jefferson Pilot, just as the Lord intended. T's and P's. Let's get out of here. We'll come back and preview week 10. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at PC Podcast ACC. Uh, Go find us on YouTube, by the way. Hit the subscribe button. We are building up that subscribership. We're getting close to 100. We need more help. Uh, Please get us there. We'll have a dedicated URL for you. Just go to YouTube, search for Basketball Conference, and uh, go from there. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify for just the audio uh, audio format if you want. You can find us, uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address in demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, I think we do have a listener email that we're like way behind on, but we'll we'll get to that, I promise. I swear. We have not forgotten. Yeah, we'll get to it. Mike, where else on the social medias? Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find... All of our podcasts All of them. Every one of them. All of them. Every Find one us on of them. Insta, on the gram, at BC Podcast ACC. We're everywhere. Go find us. Follow, subscribe, obey, all that stuff. Bear down. Bear down. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? Think we'll come good. back and preview uh, week 10? Yes, yeah, We do have it. to. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. And for Producer Scott, by the way, Producer Scott's here too. For Mike McDaniel and Producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC. Uh-huh.